Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the show. Today is a big day. Oh my Uh, God. I mean, it is a brand new day, a brand new journey, and I am so, what, joyful? Yeah, it feels just overall very positive. Someone on Twitter said this is probably the most positive day on Twitter that they've ever seen. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, no complaining at all. Everyone is just in their feelings because we have a new president and a new vice president. And it is just so amazing to, to have witnessed the inauguration today. It is. It was a big event, and we're going to be breaking it all down on the show, from the fashion to the music uh, to, of course, the speeches, the poetry. It was an event, Mm -hmm. to say the least. Uh, But yes, we're feeling good. And should we just get into the headlines of the day? Oh, my God, please. Let's just do it. Yes. Okay. what's trending this hour? President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. No more elect. I've been so used to saying that the past Mm -hmm. months. They've been sworn in officially. Harris has made history as the first female, first black and first South Asian vice president. And Biden is in the White House now where he signed a bunch of executive orders. By the way, we're going to be getting into more of that with The Washington Post on the show today. But Trump actually left Biden a letter on the desk of the Oval Office. He wasn't present at the inauguration, but he did leave him this letter, which is a tradition as one president leaves and another comes in. And here's what Biden had to share with the press. The president uh, wrote a very generous letter. I have it's because it was private. I will uh, not talk about it until I talk to him. But uh, it was generous. Okay, so it seems like he might reveal what was in that letter after he speaks to Trump. But that's a classy way to do it. It's a classy way to do it. I mean, it probably only said... I still won. <laughs> right. Everyone that's what the letter said. Oh, my God. Uh, and Vice President Kamala Harris formally swore in three new Democratic senators this afternoon following her own inauguration, officially giving Democrats control of the Senate for the first time since they lost the chamber in the 2014 elections. Earlier this month, Georgia elected two Democrats, Reverend Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, to the U.S. Senate, flipping the chamber. Now, Warnock and Ossoff were joined today by Alex Padilla, the former California Secretary of State, appointed to fill Harris's seat in the Senate by California Governor Gavin Newsom. And the swearing in of the three new senators is very groundbreaking, by the way. This whole day was. Warnock and Ossoff are the first Black and first Jewish senators representing Georgia, while Padilla is California's first Latino senator. 
Uh, Ossoff is 33 and is also the youngest senator in the chamber right now and the youngest Democrat to serve in the Senate since President Joe Biden, who was sworn into the chamber at the age of 30 in 1973. And uh, that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in the T report today, Ryan? Oh, you know, it is an elect, not election. Inauguration. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just like we have all this political PTSD that we're going to be going right? through. So just adjust with us. It's okay. But yes, we're talking all things inauguration. The celebrities were out. And let's dive in. This is your T Report, those pop culture stories that are trending right now. So let's start off with Miss Lady Gaga. I mean, she looked and sounded amazing. Um, here is a little bit of a clip of her singing the national anthem. So, of course, yeah, like I said, she made a fa major fashion statement. I tweeted mm -hmm. it. So many people were tweeting how she basically looked like she came out of the Hunger Games. <laughs> it's true. She wore this huge, it was a dove, it was a bird, yeah. like a gold bird. Mm -hmm. It was big, though. It, it was her entire chest almost. It was in It was pretty intense. But to be quite honest, J uh, not J-Lo, but Lady Gaga, who we're about to talk about J-Lo next, but Lady Gaga literally was giving us the performance that we all deserved need um and i thought she looked fabulous and i thought she did just a fantastic job uh j-lo as well she sang this land is your land uh, with a mixture of america the beautiful and then a mixture of let's get loud here's that moment She did. She also looks completely gorgeous. But here's the thing that people were pointing out, though, Shira. Okay. Was it weird that they did not come out wearing masks? I was thinking about that because I, I think about how much we criticize the Trump administration at every point and like, was it hypocritical then for some people? I mean, there were masks. Everyone there attending was wearing masks. Yeah. But if you were singing or speaking, you weren't. Uh, Which so, makes sense. I mean, honestly, yeah. it does make sense because they literally came in and out. It didn't, it's not like the only person that had like, you know, physical like touch with folks was like Garth Brooks, who just couldn't, I think was so nervous, couldn't stop shaking everyone's hands. <laughs> he was like, I'm going to take advantage of this. Yeah, it was like really intense. We're like, please stop touching everyone. You know, Don't kill them. <laughs> Especially Joe Biden. Well, let us know, of course. Hit us up and let us know your thoughts at LGT Show Everywhere. And of course, I got more T-Report coming up next hour. And more highlights from the inauguration today. Jarrett Hill, political and pop culture journalist, joins us for that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. The new Channel Q. President Biden's inauguration was this morning. He is officially in the White House and here to break it all down, the highlights, and to celebrate with us is Jarrett Hill, political pop culture journalist and also the co-host of the Fanti podcast. Welcome back on such a hey. historic day. What a day indeed, yes. So okay, what, why are you so calm? What were your thoughts? Oh, no, like, I, was, I was waiting for the question. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, so you obviously watched the inauguration. I did he? What were your thoughts? 
Jarrett, like, well, what were I, your I favorite moments? To, I heard it was happening today, so I switched over from Bridgerton. Uh, <laughs> no, I've been up since five something this morning. Um, I, I had an alarm set and a backup alarm. I, I am a person who is really, really in love with the presidency. Um, and inauguration day is kind of like my Super Bowl, but I only get, get it once every four years. Um, I will say that today's was, I kind of, I'm so tired of the word unprecedented or unusual, or we've never done, like, we get that. Um, but this year just felt bizarre in a way, um, with the empty streets. There's no one in the, in the audience. Um, and seeing Donald Trump just kind of like sneak out of the White House this morning, it was a very odd day. Um, and you know, right before the inauguration started, like we started to see what looked like snowflakes or something. I was like, yeah. oh, is this about to go left? Yeah. Um, mind you, it did go left, but it also went right. Amen. Oh. Um, but uh, as the inauguration got started, uh, you know, like the sun came out and it, it kind of felt like Pride Rock was lighting up at the end of The Lion King. Um, <laughs> and I, I will say like there, there were so many moments that we loved and were excited about. But um, even now, as we're a few hours away from it, watching Kamala Harris preside over the Senate as vice president, has been oh. very moving to me. I, I was telling you all I was starting a yes. speed thread um, as we were as we were getting on. And one of the things that has always stuck out to me about the Obama era was when their family photos would come out. They would always have like a family portrait that would come out of them on the South Lawn or them in the White House. And it started to change for me the idea of what the American family could be mm. or what the new, you know, what it meant to be all American. And it was like, oh, this family is that too. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, and now seeing Kamala Harris presiding over the Senate as president of the Senate and have, hearing them address her as Madam President, it is it is moving to see a woman sitting there and that is what power looks like now. Yeah. Um, it is just a different day in America um, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. Yeah, such a change from our previous conversations. And again, you're hearing from Jarrett Hill right now, pop culture and political journalist. I mean, it's just thinking about that and thinking of vice president, you know, Kamala Harris in this position of power, it is very chilling. It's very stunning to visually see, right? Um, but mm-hmm. I think the one thing that we can really talk about, about c- could be kind of a blessing that came from 2020 and just this past political season is that people are politically engaged. People do feel like they know a lot of things at this point about what they're looking at and kind of can point out that. But how do we stay in that mode, especially when we saw people after President Barack Obama, people were like, oh, it's the end of all things. It's all good. So how do we stay motivated moving forward? I love that you frame the question that way. And I'll tell you why. When Barack Obama was elected president, we were all so engaged, right? It was the highest turnout we'd had um, in, a, in a presidential election and people were really fired up. Um, and one of the very first things that Barack Obama, you know, came out and said in his speeches was, okay, but this ain't over, right? Mm-hmm. Like I still need y'all to show up. And I think that we can debate how effective that was, right? And, and you know, we lost the midterms and Barack Obama's always been criticized for not, you know, uh, campaigning enough for Democrats and things like that. But I think it has shown us how quickly things can change when we went from Barack Obama to Donald Trump. And I hope that this engagement that we've seen from people with voting, with organizing, with flipping states, with you know being able to do all of the things that we were able to accomplish, um, I hope that it keeps people engaged in a way that they can see the power of the work that they're doing. It didn't just get rid of Donald Trump, though it did that, right, first. 
But now we want to make sure that we are able to hold these leaders accountable that we've voted for to put into office, right? I'm excited about Kamala Harris as vice president. Joe Biden is cool too. But I really want to make sure that we hold them accountable. When we say we want to see reforms in this place, when we see we want to see progress or advancement in another, we can hold their feet to the fire. And we can do that in love, right? We don't have to hate them to do that. But at the same time, we need to hold them accountable to get things done for, for all of the people that fall under us. Yeah. And I, and I feel like there's this idea that, oh, yeah, liberals right now, Democrats, they're not going to criticize. They're just celebrating. And we're like, I think a lot of people say, yeah, today's a day of celebration. It doesn't mean that we're not going to hold them accountable. Like you can that both can exist. Yeah. And I mean, to be perfectly honest, like we saw that today. Right. Like we saw them get inaugurated. We saw them have their pomp and their circumstance. And Joe Biden is in the Oval Office signing executive orders today. And there, today is a work day. We will have a press briefing this evening, uh, or, or I believe um, right at the top of this show. The first press briefing will be today, right? Like we have to be able to, as government, we have, uh, I say we as if I'm there, but like um, a government has to be able to walk, chew gum, talk on the phone, carry its child and push a stroller while tap dancing, right? Like we, this is why we have committees. This is why we have so many people serving in those places because there's different folks doing different things. We can get all of these things done. All right, that was Jarrett Hill, co-host of the Fanti podcast. Check it out now. Thank you so much for being here. We love you. Absolutely. Really quick plug. Our okay. show this week on Fanti comes out tomorrow. We're talking about white supremacy. We're talking about the history of America and how white supremacy has shown up in the in the world uh, through our politics and what it looked like last uh, two weeks ago in the Capitol. So make sure to check out the episode of Fun Time. Fan All right. There you go. Now, uh, coming up on the show, the last time we're doing this, hopefully, we're breaking down Trump's final speech and President Biden's inauguration address. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Restore the soul and secure the future of America requires so much more than words. It requires the most elusive of all things in a democracy. Unity. Unity. The things that we've done have been just incredible, and I couldn't have done them, done it without you. So just a goodbye. We love you. We will be back in some form. That was Trump's farewell in a moment from Biden's inauguration speech today. Many describing Biden's address as a huge shift from the presidential speeches we've been hearing the past four years or even the past year, emphasizing unity and honoring those we have lost in the pandemic. And joining us to break it all down is Richard Green, who's an attorney, political communications strategist and civics educator. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Shira, and happy New America Day. Right. Instead of Happy New Year, Happy New America. Exactly. Uh, So let's get into this, because as someone who's written speeches for many politicians and uh, celebrities, how do you think the delivery and choice of words is different here than what we've been seeing? (laughs) It's kind of like saying, you know, is there a difference between night and day? Um, Donald Trump, I, I think I remember him. Donald Trump, he was that guy with the orange, everything. His speech exactly four years ago today talked about American carnage. It was an isolationist, um, xenophobic, um, militaristic vision, a dystopian vision of America and our future. And sure enough, it played out, you know, at its epitome on January 6th. And Joe Biden's was the complete opposite. It was, you know, it was about light and love 
and opening our, our arms to the world. And and I think it was beautiful. There, there is never in the history of American inaugurations been such a, a shift, a polar shift between one inaugural address and then four years later another. Couldn't have been more different. Yeah, I do wonder, though, if any president that is leaving and exiting the White House and it's not Trump, would they normally kind of have their farewell speech be the speech that is kind of talking about their their wins and what they accomplished, even though it doesn't really seem like, you know, Trump accomplished much. And it was very tone deaf, noting if he, you know, he highlighted the distribution and the development of the coronavirus vaccine, but he didn't even speak of the 400,000 Americans and counting who have died um, I guess what's the difference there when it comes to other presidents who are saying their farewell speech in a Donald Trump speech? Well, by the way, yes, I I, I was co- uh, contrasting the inaugural from four years oh, ago. Oh yeah, for and, sure. And and not and not his. By the way, I thought his goodbye address, given who he was, was about as good as we could possibly expect. He didn't. He wasn't boisterous about it. He was kind of matter of fact, and he did have some accomplishments. And I think it was much more measured than than I would have otherwise suggested or have, have anticipated. But remember, one of the most famous speeches in American history was the farewell address of Dwight David Eisenhower, where he actually took that opportunity to warn about the military industrial complex just you know, hours before JFK was was sworn in, so these exit speeches can actually be significant. I think, though, that what made this significant is that there was, in fact, an exit speech that Donald Trump did not have to be dragged out of the White House, and that he was getting on an airplane never to be seen again in Washington D.C. Okay, that's again political communication strategist Richard Green. We say that, but he said. He'll be back in some form. So what does that even mean? You know my theory on this, Shira. I I believe that even if he pardoned himself and stuck his pardon in his pocket or in a safe, which we will never know about because pardons can be secret, that he is scared to death of the criminal liability that is coming at him probably from New York. I do not believe that Donald Trump will stay in the United States very much longer. I think he will create an excuse to go to Russia and Saudi Arabia, go around the world to tend to his empire and make a farewell tour of the world because he's gonna be needing that oxygen and adulation that he doesn't have here. And mainly, to escape being served with an arrest warrant by New York. I mean, one major thing that I don't want to skip over uh, is you say <laughs> that, you know, pardons can be done in secret. Had no clue that was a possibility. Yeah, me either. Um, but also, is it also, do you think it's also kind of alluding to this idea of Ivanka Trump? You know, there's been rumors saying that she would like to run one day. Is he expecting one of the Trump kids, one of his legacies or whatever to run? I would put uh, Ivanka Trump in with Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz in that category of people who will never, ever, ever, ever be president of the United States. I think the brand, listen, they're taking Trump signs off of buildings in various places around the world. I think the Trump brand is dead. And he is the best con man in the history of the world, but I think even he has gone too far. And his and Ivanka and everyone around him has been complicit 
And I think that January 6th was the nail in the coffin for Ivanka's chances, for Jared's chances, for Don Jr.'s chances, and for Trumpism, and that we're going to see a new kind of Republican. I am predicting that Nikki Haley is going to be the next Republican nominee. But enough about the Republicans. We got to break down Biden's speech. We're going to be doing that with Richard Green next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back with Richard Green, attorney, political communication strategist and civics educator, as we break down uh, Biden's speech today at the inauguration. President Biden. I want to get used to that. Uh, So, Richard, welcome back to the show. I know you have a lot to say about what we heard today. Um, I thought it was a beautiful and totally perfect speech for the moment. You know, Joe Biden is not John F. Kennedy. He's not Barack Obama, but he's a pretty darn good communicator and speaker. And this was him at his best. And there were a couple of things that were extraordinary. And he was talking about what happened, what the real deep meaning of this inauguration was. He goes, and towards the beginning goes, America has risen to the challenge. At this moment, democracy has prevailed. Mm. That is an incredibly powerful thing to say, right? Because the implication, of course, is the other path would not have been democracy, which, you know, there are 74 million people who don't agree with that, but I think the vast majority of Americans do. And then the other thing that was really significant is, you know, John F. Kennedy in 1961, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And then he said into my, our fellow citizens of the world, the second part of that JFK speech, he was addressing the world and Joe Biden did that too. And he said, the world is watching and here's my message to those beyond our borders. We will lead not merely by the example of our power, but the power of our example. That was so good. I agree. Both of your moments that you've highlighted have been incredible. And I think something that stuck out to me is something he's always continuously said is, I will be a president for all Americans. I will fight as hard for those who did not support me as those who did. But I do wonder in us kind of a final thought, how do you think bipartisanship is going to work moving forward? You know, I think there's a lot of Republicans who are still salty. Um, But do you think they're going to make his, you know, term difficult? Or do you think we're going to see the unity that he speaks so highly of? So I'm going to surprise you with my answer. Uh, I actually think that because I've said for a long time, you know, people who hate Nancy Pelosi, I said, well, have you ever sat down to have a conversation with her? If you had dinner with her, you would love her. In other words, the more we get to know people, we identify in a general way as our enemy. The more we get to know them as human beings, generally, the more we will like them and we will drop our resistance. Joe Biden is going to do within the, this first hundred year, hundred years, hundred seems like hundred wow. days will do amazing things. We are really going to see what it looks like to have competence um, protecting people from the coronavirus. We're going to see what it looks like to have competence in terms of opening up our government and helping people in need who are suffering as a result of the COVID crisis, uh, um, dealing with immigration, getting back in the climate, climate accords, dealing with the climate crisis, all of the things that have been pent up that people want to see. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to do a bypass on this red blue you know, fight and go, hey, 
why don't you know like things are happening joe is actually you may not like him but he's actually getting stuff done yeah and actually and think- we're going to be uh, talking about those executive orders that he just signed today uh in a bit with the washington post richard green thank you so much for joining us we appreciate it you're welcome always fun to be on with you guys and this is a very historic turning point in american history it is again richard green is an attorney political communication strategist and civics educator thanks so much Now, coming up on the show, the Biden administration will allow U.S. embassies to fly pride flags again. Huge. More details on that next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Coming up on the show, CEO and president of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis, is here to discuss Biden's plans for the LGBTQ plus community during his first 100 days as president. You know, so excited. I'm very excited about that, but I'm also wanting to ask her about the whole gays over COVID situation. I need to know her thoughts, seriously. I know. I mean, it is controversial, that's for sure. But right now, let's get into some what's trending this hour. Fox News' Chris Wallace, speaking of controversy, is getting some heat for saying that President Biden's inaugural address was the best he has ever heard. Martha, I thought it was a great speech. Um, I've been listening to these inaugural addresses since 1961. John F. Kennedy asked not. I thought this was the best. And as you can imagine, uh, that didn't go over well with the Fox News viewers or, you know, the rights. Well, I'm surprised. My thing is, I'm surprised that Fox News viewers are even still watching Fox News after most of the people who support Trump said they were like deep own it like you know disowning uh, fox news at this point so it's just like what what's the big point here if that's the best impeach uh, the best speech that he's ever heard then cool that's great yeah that is true just a lot of people have different reactions on social media obviously some loving it and then some saying like how dare you you're a traitor all that yeah, stuff it's only the q folks yes <laughs> Now, we'll be discussing more about Biden's executive orders he signed today in just a bit with the Washington Post. But one of them was about COVID-19 and masks. And here he is with reporters in the Oval Office wearing a mask. So there you go. It's interesting because a lot that was seen with Trump in the Oval Office, specifically during COVID, as you know, he was not wearing a mask inside. Even after he got COVID, he literally went up those stairs, took off his mask, went right in. But Biden is making sure that everyone stays protected and that does not happen and everyone is safe. Now, Antony J. Blinken, Joe Biden's nominee for secretary of state, told the Senate Foreign Relations Committee in his confirmation hearing that he will enact policies that will allow American embassies to support and protect LGBTQ rights around the world by flying the rainbow flag. Finally, he will also reappoint a special envoy for the human rights of LGBTI persons. And that's a position that exiting President Trump failed to fill. Blinken is taking over for outgoing Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, who we all know did pretty much nothing to protect LGBTQ plus rights within the department while he was working at home and abroad. So that's all very good news. 
And that was uh, what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. So this is a very specialty report. Designer Nat Getty has come out as trans and non-binary on social media. This is your tea report. And those are your pop culture stories trending right now. So you may know Nat from being a part of the super rich Getty family or the partner of influencer and friend of the show, Gigi Gorgeous, who actually documented the entire journey of Nat getting a top surgery on her YouTube channel. Here is a clip. What are we doing in San Fran? We're going to San Fran so I can get top surgery. Proud of you, babe. So one, let's talk about how much in love that they are. Like they're kissing every five seconds. It's just really beautiful. But mm. Nat wrote on their Instagram saying, I have spent my entire life not in sync with uh, with the body I was born with and confined by an outward appearance that did not match my mind or soul. Um, it was, wasn't until recently that I was even comfortable admitting this to myself once I was able to look inwards and truly reflect on my authenticity authentic self. Now, I really, really enjoyed, because it was a really long statement, but I really enjoyed uh, this part of their statement where basically they said they wanted the top surgery for years, but they also acknowledged that it was a privilege to have the option, right? Um, saying some who need life-affirming surgeries like top surgery can't afford it. And so I just think you should all watch that YouTube video. I watched it last night and it was so just beautiful. And it also reminded me on how rich they are because they rented out an entire hotel that it was like literally only four people were staying in, but it had like a thousand rooms and this oh. one hotel, it was like weird. It was very weird. Um, I'm assuming that it probably like Nat's family owns the hotel of some sort, who knows? But um, yeah, I think you all should check it out. Go to um, Gigi Gorgeous YouTube video and um, yeah, maybe we'll get them back on the show soon. We've we've had Gigi on, we've had August on, we haven't had Nat on yet, so that would be great. Yes, the whole family. And that is definitely <laughs> a hard couple. Yeah, so I got more tea report coming up next hour. Okay, next up on the show, are you still going to the grocery store? Well, with new virus variants spreading, why some health experts are saying it's time to stop. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. With new COVID variants popping up around the world, some health experts are warning us to stop going to grocery stores. Really? Well, Stephen Goldstein is with us right now from the University of Utah. He's an evolutionary virologist. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. First, are these variants or mutants, as I'm reading about them, different in every country? Is this getting literally unmanageable? So there are definitely things, you know, popping up in every country. The virus is mutating all the time. But there are a few that have popped up in, say, three different countries, the UK, South Africa, and Brazil, that particularly are ones that we're a little bit worried about right now. The UK one was the first one to pop up and has been the one that's driven most of the news coverage of these variants so far. But, you know, how to distinguish between those three, we're still figuring that out. Yeah, it just seems like at this point, the vaccine is not our only kind of like tool to get rid of this thing. Is there anything else that we need to continue to be doing? Because I think everyone probably is relaxing because they know the vaccine is at the horizon and it just feels like everyone's just relaxing protocol. But is there anything else that we need to be doing still? We need to be doing basically the opposite of that. So, I mean, unfortunately, as I think we all realize, the vaccines are kind of trickling out more than flooding out. And so it's just they're not 
getting into people's arms fast enough to shut down, you know, the surges that we're dealing with right now. And so we've got to buckle down with all the things that, you know, in a lot of places we did a pretty good job doing for a while, better in some places than others. And in a lot of places, we're just not doing a very good job right now. And, you know, at a population level, that's really still the tools that we've got. The vaccines are just taking a little longer than I think we all hoped for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And, and why are some of these uh, mutant ones worrisome? You said some of them are just this is normal to happen yeah. as a virus continues. And, and what's the difference between those and the ones that you're questioning? So these three in particular, there's kind of two concerns. One is a concern that these might be more transmissible than the, you know, milieu of variants that's been kind of circulating until now, which, although they have different mutations from each other from a you know, functional standpoint, are basically the same. And that UK variant's the one we have the best data on so far, that it is more transmissible. The second concern is that they may be uh, able to evade or less susceptible to immune responses, either from people who were infected previously, like in one of the first two or three waves we've had here in the U.S., or potentially maybe they're less susceptible to the vaccines. I really don't want to overblow that concern because I think that's a preliminary to get too worried about that, and I think we can overdo it on that front. The transmissibility mm-hmm. is a bigger concern right now because, look, our hospitals can't take many more cases in a lot of places than they've already got. And so yeah. if we get variants coming in that are even a little bit worse, even if it's only a little bit worse, we don't have the extra capacity right now to kind of hang tough through that. Yeah. Again, you're hearing from Stephen Goldstein, uh, University of Utah evolutionary virologist. I mean, the scary thing is at one point here in Los Angeles, um, in the area, they were saying one in five people, ha- you know, have are, are getting COVID. And at this point, it seems like we can't even go to the grocery store. And a lot of epidemiologists kind of like yourself or virologists like yourself are saying, like, maybe we should stop that. Is that at, is that the moment we're in currently? Does just stop kind of going to grocery stores? So I would say, you know, my kind of rule of thumb is basically to avoid any public indoor space where there are, you know, moderate to large numbers of numbers of people around. So we've been doing curbside pickup for our groceries for a while personally. And if that's an option for you, I would do it. And look, we all know there are people for who that isn't a great option. And so anybody who can do it, I think should do it because that's just going to reduce the number of people in the stores overall. Certainly employees of grocery stores have been getting infected at a pretty high rate, probably because they're coming into contact with so many customers every day. And, you know, the people who don't have a car to do curbside pickup or, you know, for whatever reason, if the people, those of us who can avoid going can kind of clear out some extra space for those people, it just makes it a little bit safer for ourselves and for everybody else. We're all in this together. Yeah, definitely. I'm just, I, I know that inside, obviously, we don't go out of our way to go inside, but there are people that have literally been not even going anywhere. And I think it could feel scary, the fact that like the one place you could, thought you could just go, uh, have your mask on, yeah. you're safe. Like, how are people getting it if everyone has their masks on? It's a little hard to say because we don't have great contact tracing in the U.S., unfortunately, right? Both because our public health infrastructure isn't what, that what we'd love it to be, and also we just have too many cases to trace them all. We've right. lost control of this thing. I do think, you know, it's, masks aren't perfect, which is why we need to use, you know, a variety of tools. One is to wear a mask when you're in public, but the other major tool is 
to avoid being in crowded public spaces as much as possible. Uh, and I would also say one thing is, you know, a lot of us are still using these cloth masks. We, we're at a point where we should be thinking about wearing the best mask that you can. Mm. So like a surgical or a procedural mask, that kind of, you know, paper, that mask is in most cases going to be a little bit better than a lot of those homemade type cloth masks we're using. And so if you can get those cheap at like Target, that's where we get them, do that. You know, wear the best mask that you can yeah. uh, when you do have to go out. Just kind of all of these little interventions that we can layer on top of each other do kind of add up. Um, and, you know, so even if you're wearing a mask, if you're in the grocery store and there are a hundred other people there and you're in there for a half hour, you know. You I double mask up. I put two masks on at this point. That's a great idea, too. Oh, really? So you put the, you, the cloth one and then the surgical one? No, I just- <laughs> The other way around. I do the search one. one and then the <laughs> But that's a great idea, too. That's a good option, also. Yeah. All right. Stephen Goldstein from the University of Utah, an evolutionary virologist. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Coming up on the show, GLAD CEO President Sarah Kate Ellis joins us after this to talk about what we can expect uh, from the Biden administration for the LGBTQ plus community in his first 100 days. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. With President Biden's inauguration today, organizations like GLAAD are speaking out about the massive shift between Trump's attacks on the LGBTQ plus community and the inclusive policies of the Biden administration. And back with us, we are so honored and excited to have her back on, President and CEO of GLAAD, Sarah Kate Ellis. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's a great day to be with you all today. Yeah, I was going to say, first and foremost, like, how are you feeling today? <laughs> I, um, I took a really big uh, breath at 12.01 today, quite honestly. <laughs> it was, it was, I was white knuckling it till the end, quite frankly. Um, but it feels amazing. And I don't even know if we understand how deep the PTSD is from these past four years, um, while our community has been under direct attack from this last administration. So I feel like we can breathe now. Um, We have a lot of work ahead of us, a lot of repair um, to do, but also a lot of building to do. So it's not just about repair, but we have a lot of building to do. But we do have to keep this momentum. And we can't relax now. And I think these past four years have shown us in clear view how fragile our rights are and how many rights we still don't have as a community. And that's across our community for discrimination. That is for people of color within our community, the trans community, people with disabilities. It's our entire community. The blessing of these past four years, if you can squeeze one out, is that I think what we've done is really started to understand the intersectionality of our community and how powerful that is. Oh yeah. And that is what I'm looking forward to taking, taking forward. Yeah. Um, I, I, I love that. And I love that you touched on that intersectionality because I think the one blessing that I even saw was that everyone is so politically engaged now, right? There are people from my parents to my friends who can name who, you know, senators are and their local government officials. And so I wonder, you know, how do we keep this momentum going? Because it seems like people might start relaxing a little bit, kind of how when Obama was president being like, oh, everything's all good. What does GLAD have? plan to kind of keep that momentum going? 
Well, we are breaking news, so we are constantly letting the community know what's going on and what's happening and informing them of what's next. So, and we have membership. We always invite people to join us at glad.org. It's two A's, G-L-A-A-D. And if you're on that list, then you can know what exactly is going on. But we have a whole plan for the first 100 days of Biden and then for the rest of his presidency and um, for Vice President Harris's. Uh, vice presidency. So we have a big audacious plan for the next four years and we need people in our community and our allies supporting that plan. Yeah, definitely. You're hearing from Sarah Kate Ellis, president and CEO of GLAAD right now. Now, you know this, Biden has said it will be difficult to focus on the Equality Act. So what can we expect in his first 100 days? Like what policies and initiatives will you be focusing on uh, pushing? And what, what do you think will happen? Well, I just want to start with four years ago to the day. I don't know if it was the exact same day, but Inauguration <laughs> Day four years ago, I know that the LGBTQ community was wiped off of whitehouse.gov mm. because we discovered that at GLAD as we were, you know, keeping track of everything that was going on. We were literally erased from the government's main page. Today, when you go on whitehouse.gov and you're looking for information, they ask you your pronouns. So I think that we're going to see a lot happen. And I don't think that the Equality Act is going to be pushed aside at all. There is a lot to be accomplished. Also, what's really important to remember is that with intersectionality, we, uh, you know, when we did a poll, it was a post-election poll of the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community. We asked 800 voters what they thought, what were their priorities. Their first priority was COVID the LGBTQ community. Their second was health insurance. Their third was racial justice. Their fourth was LGBTQ equality. Our community is obviously affected terribly and disproportionately by COVID, oh, yeah. both from an illness perspective, but from an employment perspective and a financial perspective. So those are our issues. Um, and yes, we will get the equality act it will hopefully happen in the next two years while we still have the senate as uh more majority pro equality that's when we need to move this piece of legislation in yeah. and it will pass comprehensive protections for the lgbtq community but there are many many things that need to happen for the lgbtq community and the first is just our visibility well we'll be back with sarah kate ellis the ceo and president of glad with more right after this Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. We are back with Sarah Kate Ellis, the president and CEO of GLAAD. Not sure if you, you've seen the gaze over, you know, COVID account on Instagram, but I would love to know your take on how do we continue to encourage our community to follow the rules and stay safe, right? Because I think as we're celebrating and as what we're seeing, I would love to know your thoughts about that because it's it's super important, especially from coming from someone like you, who's, I feel like our president in some ways. <laughs> Literally. Well, you know what, Here here is my thought on that. We have lived through an epidemic, many of us in the LGBTQ community. And we understand, and that lasted for years and years because it didn't get any attention. 
um, and we had no help and we had to rely on our own community. We understand being a vulnerable community. And I really hope that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it came today at noon because we have somebody who's actually addressing COVID, somebody who's putting a plan together or who has a plan and is going to get the inoculations distributed, created and distributed. So we do have to hold on because Oftentimes in our community, because we're disproportionately affected by lack of health care, unemployment, we are more susceptible to illness and disease. And so I really hope that our community takes us seriously and we can get through this. We've been through this before, unfortunately, and we can get through this. Our community is the most resilient community that I know. And um, and I think that this is something that we can we can tackle, but we have to do it together and we have to lock arms on this. Yeah. And I know people are over it. I am tired of it. We're all tired of it. And we've been, you know, we're fish out of water for a year with no plan and no light at the end of the tunnel. But we do now and we have to hold on to that. You know, you talked about visibility and obviously representation. What did you think when you heard of Dr. Rachel Levine, who was announced as Assistant Secretary of Health? I, I mean, I, on top of the world, honestly, here is a woman who is highly, highly qualified. And for me, it, it goes even deeper, especially because she's trans, because the trans community has been refused health care, has been tortured about who they are and how they appear in this world. And so to now have that prominent of a person who happens to be also trans in a position of health um, and human. What I was saying is we're putting the human back in health and human services. Mm. Um, and she will, you know, HHS has been a has been weaponized against the trans community. And now we have a trans leader at the top of that that will de-weaponize it. Yeah. Again, you're hearing the voice of Sarah Kate Ellis, president and CEO of GLAD as we react to Biden's inauguration today and what's to come. I mean, I do want to um, ask one more question because I, I think it's so interesting how we were just seeing so much change happen so quickly. So what do you have to say for, to people to keep the hope, right? I think that's something that we automatically were feeling it. But moving forward, having hope and knowing that we can survive everything and we can, you know, get through this. If we got through Trump, we could get through anything, right? And so I just want to kind of end on a high note of saying, what do you, what would you want to say to everyone listening right now, moving forward into the next four years? I would say that, you know, today Biden announced that he will be signing an executive order to prevent anti-LGBTQ job discrimination, right? That's day one. We're just waking up to this today. So we have four years of building our community, of taking care of our community, of a friendly administration after four years of a very hostile administration. There's, I have so much hope and excitement for our community, for our voices to have a seat at the table, for the intersectionality of our community to really lock arms with each other and help each other um, and, and to manifest and bring the American dream to all Americans. 
especially LGBTQ people, especially our trans brothers and sisters, our, and, and the communities of color within our community yeah. who are triply marginalized because of multiple identities and intersectionality. So it's a great day and it's going to be a fabulous four years. We do have to get through the next couple of months or several months of COVID, but we can do that. We've done it before and then it's going to be blue skies. Definitely. Thank you for the optimism and positivity. Sarah Kate Ellis, president and CEO of GLAAD. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank you. Now, coming up, we've got What's Trending This Hour. What state just introduced a bill that would ease requirements for trans people to legally change their name? We'll tell you that next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. On his first day in office, President-elect Joe Biden is expected to sign 17 executive actions. 15 will be executive orders, some of which will reverse decisions made by his predecessor, President Trump. And back with us to give us all the scoop, Dave Weigel, political reporter for The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. It's good to be here. Thanks, guys. So how normal is this to do this so quickly, immediately as you're brought into office? So usually the... The president is putting pieces into place. I mean, it's very, un- it, it, very unusual that uh, most of your cabinet is picked by this point. Um, the Congress has been puttering around for a couple of weeks, but you tend to focus on executive orders first. The amount that Biden has said he's going to do is unusual. So if he actually mm-hmm. is signing 15 orders, reversing a lot of what Trump did today, that's unusual. Um, that's not even what Trump did. Remember, Trump's response was just have a day of kind of partying and they didn't do the Muslim ban until uh, the weekend. Um, and the Muslim ban is going to be one of the first things Biden gets rid of. So that is um, that's a lot. I mean, and, and they've been kind of briefing reporters as this goes on what they'll do, because <laughs> frankly, Biden, as a candidate, talked so much about what he would do on day one, on my first day, as soon as I get in office, et cetera. And he's not doing all of that. He's just doing a lot of it. I was wondering if that was based off of kind of like his promises that he was leading into, but really what goes into the decision-making of choosing which one is like, which action is important enough to do immediately, right? Because obviously there's a list of things that need to be taken care of, but what was the priority in these cases? Uh, right. Well, there's a few things he could do right away. So some of the things Biden said he was going to do on day one, he, he, he couldn't anyway. And he's not, this is not the worst lie anyone's told running for president, but you could say, He's going to get rid of most of the of the Trump tax cut on day one. That's not going to happen. Uh, that probably is happening in, in the first couple uh, legislative packages that the Democrats pass. One thing about Biden as, as a pres- as a president now versus Biden as a candidate, maybe you know thirty years ago, twenty years ago, is that he really has been responsive. Even if he's been a little bit annoyed sometimes, he's been responsive to activists and the demands of activists. And I think uh, he definitely bent that way as vice president. Remember, he was. He kind of moved. He moved pretty f- fast on gay rights and on immigration, on issues where he'd been a lot more conservative as a senator from Delaware, uh, in the White House, responding to pressure from activists. So he he's made a lot of promises, like as soon as I can, you're getting rid of this. So, for example, the DACA um, shoring up DACA today, and, and basically informing DACA recipients that it's totally safe. I'm keeping the program in place. Um, the only threat to DACA at this point is this conservative lawsuit that's bouncing around, which he'll deal with, but. That's something he said he'd do. As soon as, I, as soon as I'm in there, you're going to go to sleep that first night knowing that you don't have to worry about DACA anymore. And that you don't have to worry there's a president who will try to kill it instantly. Um, so that's the kind of stuff he's doing. Now, some of the some other things, like uh, he has um, 
he was less vocal about decriminalizing marijuana than some people were, but that's a thing that we've kind of waiting to happen at some point. Some things he'll do, I think, with more of a rollout, right? Like the the news cycle of the day will be a thing he announces at 11, maybe, or a primetime speech. And he's going to give a speech to Congress. Um, they haven't set a date, but probably in the next month, where he's going to lay out more what he what he does. So I would expect in this first month, just like a ton of quick actions. And there's also another thing that's, that's um, I guess, less, they, they, the campaigns talk about less, but he's demanding a lot of fire, uh, oh, sorry, a lot of resignations and he's firing people. So um, the Trump administration kind of ironically in support of these, this lawsuit uh, to get rid of the CFPB, it didn't succeed, but the court said, okay, well, um, the CFPB, you're allowed to fire or hire a new director when you're a new president, which is not the way it used to be. It used to be, oh. you know, you appoint somebody for five years. It's like FBI or Fed, you know, they're appointed and they last the next president. But like, basically, Trump made it easier to fire people. And so uh, tr- uh, Biden is already the, the current CFPB director has resigned um, and Biden could just appoint a replacement. That's Dave Weigel again, political reporter for The Washington Post. Um, So, yeah, what you're mentioning, it seems like there's a lot going on. It seems like I guess there are some things that Trump implemented that allowed to create a, a somewhat of a good precedent to now make these moves, including the firing parts. Yeah. I don't think many things uh, created a good precedent. Uh, but I guess when are we going to see these things be implemented just because he announces it? Does that mean it just happens right away? Oh, yeah, it really does. So, uh I, I want to stay out of the weeds. So this does co- kind of complicated, but there's when the yeah we have one more minute <laughs> when the president signs the executive order that that starts getting implemented. When um, he has some branch of the government have a new regulation, typically you need to take time to unwind that. But one thing Biden and Congress are going to do because Democrats can just with 51 votes in the Senate get rid of any regulation that was passed in the last I think like 100 days basically. Uh, so a lot of what Biden's going to be doing is undoing what Trump did, and I think get ready for that basically every day for the next right. month. And how strategic does he have to be, especially because he is promising this unity, and that means with both parties being bipartisan yeah. and making sure he doesn't step on toes so quickly. So how strategic does he have to be in these executive orders? Uh, well, that's a good question because Republicans are waiting for him to do something that gets their base angry and gets them back in the streets. And they're focused on immigration as the one because... Yeah, well, that was Dave Weigel, political reporter for The Washington Post. You're always such a pleasure to have on. We appreciate it. That's yeah, Thanks. It was good to be here. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan, the new Channel Q. Wrapping up this beautiful day on our show today, as usual, with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes Queen. And of course, a Yes Queen to President Biden. Vice President Kamala Harris, that's obvious, but there was a star today, a breakout star, 22-year-old Amanda Gorman, the youngest inaugural poet in U.S. history. She spoke today and blew us all away. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, 
but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. Ugh. It was incredible. Um, and that poem is called The Hill We Climb. I just get chills listening to it over and over again. And this is not the last we're going to see of her. I mean, her name's going down in history in the books. Well, yeah. I mean, she's been around for quite some time now. And I think uh, she's... This is her breakout moment, don't you think? No. I mean, yeah, I guess, yeah. But she's always kind of been, uh, especially recently, she's... I think she's been in a lot of our attention as kind of like black excellence. I think she's coming into the mind frame, well, into the mind space of a lot of newer folks because the inauguration is a huge global mm -hmm. platform. But she's always been kind of this uh, prodigy, if you would say. Uh, she's just always been great with her words. She's been, she's done it since she was young. I mean, she's been writing poetry for ever at this point. Um, but I'm, I'm excited for her. And this was such a moment to see her. And especially when there wasn't like, in my opinion, enough, like even like black folks, a part of the, <laughs> the actual inauguration, especially with someone as historic as like a Kamala Harris coming in to being a vice president. I think her, she was most definitely a nice touch and that yellow coat, that Prada coat that she had on. Oh, I'm obsessed with her. If y'all don't know Amanda, please do your research, dive into her catalog and just be just amazed by all of her work. Cause she's so thoughtful and literally are the next generation's like leader. Yeah, for real. And you just gave a little bit of background. Yeah, she was writing since 14. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, by age 18, she was named the Youth Poet Laureate of Los Angeles. A few years later, while studying sociology at Harvard, she became the first National Youth Poet Laureate. <laughs> so Jill Biden actually saw her. Um, she saw her at the Library of Congress because she spoke there, and then inv invited her to the inauguration. So according to an article in on MSN.com, she actually, in researching for this, she drew inspiration from speeches of American leaders during other historic times of division, including Abraham Lincoln and Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. So I yeah, told you she's together. been around. Yeah, she has. Uh, but this is once again, I think the, the beginning of an even bigger career. I mean, people are comparing her to Maya Angelou. Like, it's pretty amazing. And that does it for our show today. Mm -hmm. What a good show. Yes. yes. Queen. That's what I'm talking about. We are back tomorrow. We've got San Diego's first gay mayor of color joining us to talk about how he plans to reshape America's finest city. And of course, we're continuing to cover everything coming off of the inauguration. If you miss any of our shows or interviews, we post everything as a podcast. So be sure to check out the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. We are sending you so much love and light. And honey, remember to slay. See you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye, y'all. Happy Inauguration Day.